Chapter 7 of Italian Life and Legends by Anna Cora Mawit Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 7 Florentine Feuds, Seravezza, Valley of the Apennines, near Florence, August 22nd. 1865. Some of the most thrilling episodes in Florentine history are those which record the deadly feuds that separated illustrious families or existed between the nobles and the people, feuds which lasted for centuries and supplied the chronicler with an abundant treasury of romantic incidents. The Ghibellinis were the ancient nobility of Florence and were opposed to the Guelphs, who were the representatives of the people. Their furious dissensions involved the Florentine Republic in numerous sanguinary wars, threw the government into confusion, and entailed on all classes a perplexing series of misfortunes. The feud, which originated in a private quarrel between the Buendamonti and the Tifonti, culminated in a fearfully tragic catastrophe, and was most fatal and enduring in its consequences. In 1215, the Order of Knighthood was conferred upon Mazzino of the Mazzini. He gave a feast to celebrate an event which did him so much honor. Buendelmonti, a young and gallant cavalier, noted for the attractions of his person and the fascination of his manners was invited an altercation arose between two of the guests umberti infatecanti and odo tifanti the fiery buendomanti ever ready to plunge into a quarrel started up and took sides with infangati his manner was so violent and his language so vehement that Tifonti seized a plate from the convivial board and dashed it into his face. At this indignity, all the guests sprang from their seats. The friends of Wendelmonti drew their daggers and rushed upon Tifonti. He must inevitably have lost his life had he not have been defended and rescued by the cooler portion of the company. The host made an eloquent appeal to the excited young men, and finally succeeded in calming their ire and reconciling Tifonti and Buendelmonti to each other. They shook hands, and the guests reseated themselves at the banquet table. But it was feared that the reconciliation thus forced upon the cavaliers would not be permanent. To ensure its duration, a marriage was proposed between young Buendamonti and the niece of Odo Tilfonti, of the noble family of Amade. Bueno del Monte was too courteous to refuse the proposition, although he had no preference for the young lady thus suddenly offered to him as a bride. To have declined her hand would have added fresh insult to the one he had already given Tifonti. Preparations were forthwith made for a magnificent wedding. When these tidings reached the ears of Madonna Aldruda, 
of the noble Donati family, she was filled with dismay. She had watched the young Gueno del Monte from his childhood, and in her heart she had selected him for the bridegroom of her beautiful daughter, just budding into womanhood. She could not resign herself to this sudden awakening from her brilliant dreams. At the hour when she knew Bueno del Monte would pass her house, she stood in her doorway to salute him. The young cavalier reined in his steed when he saw her, and after she had greeted him with even more than her wonted courtesy, she drew forward her lovely daughter, and, presenting her to him, said, This I have kept for thee. The impressionable youth was charmed by the modesty and beauty of the young maiden, and touched by the words of the mother. Prompted by unreflecting impulse, he sprang from his horse, and taking the young girl by the hand, replied, I should be ungrateful to refuse your gift, lady, and entered the house. During this, his first interview with the fair damsel, he became so much enamored that he resolved to break his faith with the niece of Tifonti. He at once betrothed himself to the daughter of Madonna Aldruda Dignati, and their nuptials took place without delay. When Oro Tifonti learned that the affianced husband of his niece had wedded a Donati, he vowed a terrible vengeance. The enraged family of the forsaken lady met in council and decided that Bueno del Monte should be severely wounded and maimed as the penalty of his inconstancy. But Mosca Lamberti deemed each punishment insufficient. This king has got a head, he ejaculated, as he wrathfully arose to demand a sterner retribution. Then it was decided that Bueno del Monte should suffer death. Easter Sunday is celebrated by the Catholic Church as one of the holiest and grandest festivals. That was the day selected for the execution of Bueno del Monte's sentence. He had been married one week. He rode gaily forth on that bright Easter Sunday, attired in a suit of pure white and upon a white steed, his young bride herself had buckled on his sword. It may well be imagined with what loving pride the innocent girl watched the noble and handsome cavalier as he mounted his horse in his bridal garb. She was never more to look upon his living face. He rode rapidly over the Ponte Vecchio, now the well-known jeweler's bridge. But at the foot of the bridge, he received a blow upon his head, which hurled him from his horse. Oro Tifonte then fell upon him, and with his own hands opened his enemy's veins, and savagely watched him bleed to death. The tradition further says that his young bride was seized and placed in an open car, which held the bleeding body of her husband, and with his head laid upon her lap, the car was drawn through the streets of Florence to exhibit the vengeance which a noble and insulted family had taken upon a faithless cavalier. The whole city took a part in this quarrel. Of sixty-two Florentine noble families, thirty-nine became Guelph or friends of the Buenamonte, and the rest Ghibellines or partisans of the Amadei.
and the two parties were ever after the most inveterate foes. Constant contentions, bloody frays, and even desperate wars sprang out of this unhappy division. At a little later period, 1258, a most romantic incident gave an important place in history to another member of the Bueno del Monte family. Like his predecessor, a young and gallant cavalier, between the illustrious family of the Bardi, whose ancient mansion is still visible in the street of that name, the family of the Bueno del Monte, a most implacable hereditary hatred had existed for generations. Ippoliti Bueno del Monte, in his twenty-first year, is described as a golden-haired, blue-eyed, symmetrically portioned youth of noble presence. He had an enthusiastic temperament, a warm heart, and a character richly endowed with generous and manly attributes. Unfortunately, he fell in love with Dianora del Bardi, the daughter of the bitterest enemy of his house. He had beheld her in church, and from that time haunted the street in which she lived. It is said that the apparent hopelessness of his passion caused him a dangerous illness. During this period, his devoted in obtaining his confidence. Instead of reproaching her son for his weakness and bidding him forget this young maiden to whom he had given his heart, she gave him most tender and womanly sympathy, and even bade him hope that the breach between the two contending families might be healed and Dianora become his bride. Her words of consolation possessed a restorative power that acted like magic, and Ippolito recovered with a rapidity which astonished and perplexed his physicians. Meantime, the mother formed a plan which enabled the lovers to meet upon the occasion of a great festival given at Monticelli, the villa of one of her ancient friends. The hostess and mother even allowed the young couple an opportunity of conversing without witnesses. During that single interview, Dianora was wooed and won by the enemy of her house. The happy pair were not only affianced, but the day of their marriage was fixed, and the manner in which Dianora was to be stolen from her father's house concerted. In ten days, a priest and proper witnesses were to assemble in the chapel of the Servite convent of the Holy Trinity, at an altar belonging to the Bueno del Monte. Ippolito was to let his lady-love know that all was well in readiness, by giving her a signal as he passed beneath her a balcony on that day at a certain hour, and in the dead of night he was to climb to her chamber window by means of the silken ladder, then greatly in vogue, and return with his bride. At the hour agreed upon, the signal was duly given, and Dianora, very joyfully at heart, withdrew to wait for the coming night. Ippolito had made all his preparations, and, having concealed his silken ladder within his cap, set out, soon after midnight, for the house of his betrothed. Just as he had passed the Ponte Vecchio, and entered the Via del Bardi, he heard behind him the tramping of feet of the bagello, and his men, the patrol, seized with a sudden panic, imagined that they were in pursuit of him. 
instead of attempting to hide himself, which he could have easily have done by slipping into some of the narrow streets, he fled down the Via de Bardi, and thus attracted the attention of the patrol, who at once gave chase. His swift feet might still have given him a chance of escape, but his cap, with the betraying contents, fell off, and he stopped to recover the lost treasure, upon which his future happiness depended. That brief pause gave the patrol time to reach and capture him. He was instantly thrown into prison. When he was questioned, instead of avowing the truth, which he thought might tarnish the fair name of his bride, he accused himself of being engaged in a house-breaking expedition, and confirmed his story by details which seemed to leave no doubt of its truth. Outrages were very frequent in those days, and it was necessary that justice should be dealt out summarily. The Guelph magistrate, if he would conciliate the good will of the people, must perforce exert the authority of law as unhesitatingly over a patrician offender as over the meanest citizen. On the very morning after his capture, Ippolito Buondelmonte, proved guilty by his own confession, was condemned to be beheaded. His courage and determination to preserve his secret remained unshaken by this sentence. His mother was admitted to his prison, and by her prayers and tears strove to induce him to let her reveal the truth, and declare the part she had herself taken in aiding his fatal expedition. But he withstood all her entreaties. He said he had but one wish, and that was to behold Dionora once more. He therefore charged his mother to go to the Bargello, and petitioned him to allow the procession which would conduct him to the place of execution to pass through the Via dei Bardi. This petition was readily granted. Soon after dawn, on the morrow, the procession issued from the prison doors. It was composed of the Bargello and his pikemen, then a couple of priests walking on either side of the prisoner and chanting the penitential psalms, then the headsman with his barred axe on his shoulder, then more pikemen, and then a crowd of people who volunteered their attendance, and joining in chants as they walked. Dionora, when she arose that day, to the great surprise of her maidens, arrayed herself in her most superb attire. The members of her family had all assembled on the balcony to see the procession pass, and to glory over the humiliation and punishment of a detested Buena del Monte. Dionora did not join them until she heard the procession was within sight. Just as it passed in front of the balcony, and her lover raised his eyes to her face, to look the farewell he could not speak, Dionora, with pale cheeks and flashing eyes, suddenly stepped forward, and in a firm, clear voice addressed the Bargello and the citizens of Florence. She bade them pause to listen to the testimony she had to give concerning their prisoner, Ippolito de Buena del Monte. Her proud relatives were too much amazed, too completely stunned by the suddenness of her action to silence her. The procession halted at her command. The crowd expressed the deepest emotion. When she again prepared to speak, some of the cavaliers of her family pressed forward to intervene, but she waved them back 
with a regal gesture and turned to the bargello and the citizens then in rapid but eloquent language she told them that she would have been guilty of murder had she not spoken she declared that ippolito was her affianced husband in spite of the deadly feud which separated their families that he had generously allowed himself to be condemned as a midnight robber to preserve her fair name unsullied that on the night he was seized in accordance with a plan they had laid he was to have climbed to her chamber window to carry his betrothed to the altar that she had hoped their union would end the wicked and senseless feud which had existed between their houses and she concluded by saying that she stood there an expectant bride waiting for the fulfilment of her bridegroom's promise the crowd enthusiastically cheered the noble and courageous maiden and would have yielded her ippolito by force if force had been needed but he fearing that she would only ruin herself and not save him addressed her as one whom generous pity for his misfortune has caused to use this stratagem with a woman's ready wit she interrupted his words and reminded the crowd that a priest must have been engaged to perform the marriage ceremony and added that as the testimony of that priest would prove her assertion she demanded that a proclamation be made ordering him to appear it chanced that this very priest was one among the crowd with great difficulty he forced his way beneath the balcony and testified that he had waited six hours at the chapel of st agnes having been ordered by ippolito to be there for the ceremony of the holy sacrament of marriage between himself and the noble lady dianora de bardi then the delighted populace shouted tumultuously the prisoner is innocent long live the buenomonte long live the bardi a buenomonte and a bardi ippolito and dianora peace and union in florence to the palace to the palace the seat of the republican government was still called palazzo vecchio on the piazzo grandalca the bardi could not dared not gainsay popular request the rival families were forced together by a current too strong to be resisted ippolito was conducted by his guard to the palace dianora was escorted by her amazed but powerless relatives and joined him there before an immense crowd not made up of the people alone but also composed of the principal families of florence ippolito de buenomonte and dianora del bardi were united and the feud between the rival houses was at an end, end of chapter seven